Every day, as humans, we think about 60,000 separate thoughts. And these are thoughts that we're either consciously aware of or unconsciously aware of. And in fact, these are the patterns of behaviour that we inherit from people that have brought us up, from our friends, from our experiences. And by and large, even though we like to think we're all individual, we can actually be read and analysed and influenced extremely easily. So I'm going to do a few things with you just to kind of drive that message home. Don't look so, don't look so scared. So as a police officer, whatever your views are on the police, most of my working day was spent dealing with liars, cheats and criminals and people trying to catch me out. Some of the job was obviously dealing with nice people, but predominantly um, people trying to catch you out and avoid obviously getting into trouble. So what I want to talk about is the whole idea of sort of deception and people, you know, lying. But before that, I've got a background basically in psychology. So since 2010, I've basically worked mostly in the media, TV, radio, press, all around assessing politicians. So obviously I'm very busy at the moment. Donald Trump's paying all my bills for the last few months. You know, key politicians, um, public figures. So it's not all about deception. It's about body language. So even from stills and photographs, we can actually tell, you know, in terms of what's happening in someone's mind. So what I'd like to invite you to do is just everyone fold your arms for me. Really took them in. And then, and then unfold them. Then fold them the opposite direction. So if you're able just to basically interchange really quickly, put your hands up for me. If you found it a little bit difficult, put your hands up. Okay, so again, you know, maybe 70-30 split. So it just demonstrates that we as humans, anything that we do for 21 days or more is said to be an habitual behaviour. So very often, things can be happening right in front of us, but we don't see it. So how many times have you been looking for your phone when you've been really, really late for something and you don't see it, even though it's right in front of your face? So this is a thing called change blindness or a psychological blind spot. So the intention of my talk for the next sort of 10 minutes or so is just to really open up that psychological blind spot. In any 10 minutes of conversation with a stranger, they'll tell you at least three white lies. Okay. So white lies are things that really are not going to affect you. There's no consequence to that. Okay, so I'm going to invite you to kind of take on board that lying is part of our nature. Even though we're told morally it's wrong, you try getting through the day without lying. We can actually be lied to, and we lie up to 200 times a day, which when I first heard that statistic was quite staggering. So these are kinds of things maybe your partner or your friends or your parents might say, how are you doing? And, you know, maybe you're not feeling great or something's going on and you don't want to tell them. And, and we lie, don't we? You know, because we, it's not, if someone says, how are you doing? We say, yeah, I'm good. I'm great. You don't want to say, well, I'm, I'm quite miserable, actually. <laughs> so, you know, we have this propensity just to be on the up all the time. So these are the small little white lies that we kind of tell and people tell us. I do a lot of work in and around recruitment now, and believe it or not, 20% or one in five of job applicants will commit a blatant fraud to get a job. So most people say, yeah, but Darren, everyone sort of lies on the CV, don't they? I'm not talking about little tiny things, you know, saying I'm a self-starting, you know, go-getting individual. I'm talking about blatant lies where they've never even worked in an environment. I do um, a lot of work at sort of Canary Wharf, you know, the really high-paying jobs. And for a lot of companies now, the deception detection is all about minimising risk because if they're paying maybe £200,000 out for a candidate, it's very easy to appoint somebody in a job but not so easy to kind of get rid of them later down the line. So one of the things that I do is I sit in on the interview just as a silent observer and I use some of the skills that I'm going to tell you about in the next few minutes. Some other interesting stats are men are eight times more likely to lie than women generally about accomplishments. So if you've got a guy telling you he's an airline pilot, then, you know, ask to see some ID. So women tend to lie more about, or the reason they lie more is, is to protect other people. So it seems to be a quite a, a much more palatable reason for lying. Some of the women nodding there, 
so it's not a surprise to them. And basically, most white lies are told to avoid social awkwardness. So who's ever got something for Christmas or some other holiday? So who's ever been in that situation where they've had to lie and say, I love it? If you imagine that throughout your day, you were just to habitually tell the truth. And I think there was a film some years ago, wasn't there, with Jim Carrey about all this, where he actually told the truth for 24 hours, had some spell on him, and he got into all sorts of trouble. So in terms of the work that I do is, well, just a quick, quick uh, definition. It's obviously when somebody knowingly tells you information to, to literally deceive you. So for me, the difference that makes the difference from white lies, and then that becomes escalated into a, an outright deception, is when someone's trying to really get something out of you. They're trying to manipulate you. you know, they're trying to lie to you about themselves in some way to get something from you, which I think that's the difference for a lot of people. Some of you may already be aware in terms of the body language that you know, we tend not to take much notice of, of what's said in terms of content. It's more to do with the actual body language and non-verbal stuff. So the two differences are, if I was to say to you now, thanks very much for coming to my confidence workshop today. I'm really pleased that you've come. If you do what I do, you'll be really confident like me. And you think, well, that's, that's, that's just completely incongruent with what you'd have said. Whereas if you were to hear that maybe on the radio, you think, oh, this, sounds, this guy sounds super confident. So we rely so heavily on visual clues in terms to, to make a meaning. So it's not what happens to us, it's the meaning, in fact, that we attach to it. There's a little bit of verbal things that we do attach. So, for example, if any of you have ever had to ring a government agency or maybe anybody drive, anything like that, got car insurance, if you make a claim, there's something called voice risk analysis software, which is there to determine if you've got stress patterns in your voice. See a few people like putting their heads down now. Look. So uh, we'll come on to that in a second. So let's imagine now I'm sat in an interview or I'm sat watching a politician deliver a speech or a, to a press conference. There's a number of things that I'm looking for. Um, and this is how we call an establish a baseline of behaviour. So most people, you know, when they're in a relaxed state, they'll talk at a normal pace, a normal pitch. Have you ever noticed that people will look in a certain direction for information? Um, it's called eye accessing cues. Now, for a long time, they said that if you look left, you're remembering things. If you look right, you're lying. It's slightly more complicated than that. So if you actually just think to yourself, if I ask you to think about a memory from the past that was really nice, maybe a time on holiday, something like that, and then just kind of note to yourself where you look for that information in, with, with the position of your eyes. If you're right-handed, the chances are that you look left for that information. And if you're left-handed, the chances are you look right because the process is reversed. If I now invite you to think about a really nice feeling, so maybe something happened in your life, you went somewhere, or maybe you, know, you kind of achieved something, and notice the feelings. In order to access what I'm asking you to do, the eyes will move in a different direction. But predominantly, when someone's answering questions, they will tend to look in the same position. That's one thing that I note. Voice tone, again, I'm listening for tone, for pitch, for speed. Posture, you know, is the person quite animated as they're speaking? Or are they naturally quite, quite still? I was recently involved in a big crime um, documentary where two people were accused of murder in, in India. A previous body language expert said that when this person was being interviewed, they were very defensive. I'm sure we've all heard about people, you know, if you fold your arms, it's supposed to mean that you're defensive. Well, research has shown that that's not actually the case. For a lot of people, folding our arms and crossing our ankles is quite a comfortable posture. So what I did was I had access to a lot of the different information of this person that, that there was a suspect. And what we found was that the home movie videos from two years before the offence, she adopted the same posture. So for her, it was a very comfortable way of sitting. So that negated this idea that on the police interview, she was folding her arms and being defensive. 
So it's just an idea of making sure that we get a very, very comfortable baseline when we're talking to people. Physiology. We've heard of the fight or flight syndrome. You know, if we go back to sort of caveman times, the, t the idea is that if we are faced with a threat and we need to run, our body secretes adrenaline and blood to our legs so we can run away. Likewise, if it's a situation where we need to fight, adrenaline is pumped to our arms and, and hands and again blood, and that's so we can fight and defend ourselves. The key here is on the face that, that physiology affects when people are actually quite stressed. Our lips, bottoms of their ears and nose. So if you talk to somebody and they suddenly have dramatic changes. It doesn't mean they're lying, but it means that there's been a sudden change in emotion. There's a thing called micro-expressions. Anybody ever heard of a thing called micro-expressions? So micro-expressions are fleeting flashes of emotion lasting less than a fifth of a second. And this was devised by a psychologist in the States called Paul Ekman. And he said that even though we can experience lots of different emotion, there are in fact only seven basic laws of human expression. So we can be happy, we can be sad, we can show anger, fear, surprise, contempt and disgust. And these are unconscious processes. And one of the key questions I get asked when I'm being interviewed is, well, surely, Darren, you must be a fantastic liar. No, I'm not. If you train in this stuff, I have the same physiology, same neurology as you guys, as politicians do. So even though if someone's really well planned and rehearsed and trained, they still can't really affect their microexpression. So an example of this might be if you guys got some really good news and then your friend suddenly goes, I'm really pleased about that, that's great. Blatantly obvious, but that's kind of micro-expression of disgust. So that is the true emotion. So as you go out today, be aware of these micro-expressions. <laughs> Verbal responses. There's a very famous case with President Clinton that you probably all have seen at some point on the internet. And people tend to use language in a very specific way. They'll use a thing called distancing language. So one of the things that I do now is work with police, because if there's, if there's suspects, a lot of the time that police forces will put suspects in a press conference, even if they're not di directly suspected straight away, it's just to make sure that they're not, kind of not involved in it. And what tends to happen is, in front of a press camp, the cameras and everything else, they try to come over as being totally innocent. So there's key things that we look for with someone that's, that's experiencing genuine emotion. I worked on uh, Judge Rinder's Crime Stories about two years ago, famous case in the Midlands with a guy called Phil Pot, and he basically set the house on fire and all the children were, were killed. And he did a press conference, and there were very specific things within that press conference which led people like myself to say there's, there's something not genuine, and he was obviously convicted together with his wife. So that's basically a baseline. Okay, so the way that this would work is if I'm sat as a silent observer in an interview, you know, the HR person's asking away, and then at some point, if they get to a point in that interview where the person's not happy, what will happen is there'll be a very distinctive change in five or six of those baseline behaviours. So just because someone maybe changes eye pattern or maybe shifts their posture is not conclusive. See, as humans, we can actually juggle a few balls... But when we're actually under extreme stress, see, I'm not really a lie detector. What I'm good at doing is looking for physiological changes to stress, which is effectively what a polygraph machine does. But that just operates on three, three channels, which is sweat, breathing and pulse. I'm working on maybe sort of nine channels. So we're looking for distinct breaks in patterns of behaviour. And the idea is that, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that this person's lying. However... I was involved in a case recently where someone said they'd worked at a particular bank and they flashed about seven breaks in pattern. And then when they went along and bettered this CV even more, this person had not even actually worked at the bank ever. What tends to happen 
is it's, this is all linked to consequence. So if you and I are working together or we're friends and you steal my yoghurt out of the fridge, I'm probably not going to ring the police if I say, be honest, did you steal my yoghurt? You know, you might say, well, I did. I was hungry, Dan, sorry. Or, or you might front it out and say, no, I didn't. The level of what we call tells, or the technical term is called leakage. It's not a nice word, all right? This is when you get a wet seat. It just literally means that the more you try and keep a lie in, it's called the law reversal effect in psychology. So the more that we try and keep that lie in, the more it wants to get out. And that degree of leakage is linked to our perception of the consequences to being discovered and how close the HR person or the police officer or our partner, if we've been cheating, is to catching us out. And that's kind of the basis of lie detection. And it's obviously the brain, mind and body are linked. So obviously what we think about, we bring about. So even if we're experiencing something in the mind, it's very, very difficult for us to juggle all those balls. And what tends to happen is the mind closes down. There's a famous police interview that I was involved in, and the suspect literally put his head down, closed his eyes, because he was literally experiencing from such cognitive overload. And that was literally, he gave the game away within, within seconds, because a normal person would plead their innocence, and they'd be super cooperative, and there'd be lots of verbal cues, and in terms of the way that they would behave, that would tell us that they're innocent. So some of the things that I do, um, I've just done a documentary on the Royal Wedding. So I'm, I've been sort of worked quite extensively recently on the body language of Meghan and Harry and looked at Kate and William. So the very different, distinct ways in which they interact with each other. And then obviously uh, the media is very interested in how uh, Meghan's being received by the rest of the Royal family. Politically, I assess sort of a lot of major politicians be aware as you go out of the room today look at how people interact with you are they are they facing you there's something called matching and mirroring if you sit in coffee shops like me and i just look at people you can actually read people quite easily if you're not aware of the fact that people that are in rapport tend to match and mirror each other so they'll match each other's posture if you want to actually build rapport with somebody or you're going for a job interview if you kind of match the person that you're interacting with, it's, it may feel a bit weird at first, but the more times that you do this, it will become second nature to you, like folding your arms. If you're in a conversation, then suddenly you shift something very subtly about yourself. So maybe you shift your posture very subtly, or you change your arm position. You'll find that the other person will follow you, and that we call pace and lead. And that's how you build deep rapport. So I want to thank you very much, and it's been very short. I've given you like a one-day crash course in deception detection. Please feel free to come and speak to me or, you know, follow me on social media. Thanks very much for listening. I'm sorry we've not got longer because it's, uh, I could talk your ears off, really. I love what I do. I've got a passion for what I do, and I think that's the difference. And it's all about stepping in and out of my preconceived ideas because sometimes, you know, I can be surprised. So I just invite you just to step out of your current belief system and maybe look for some micro-expressions later today. Thanks very much for listening, guys.